This is Chris. Uh, welcome to episode 7 of X Lapsed. And uh, if you're coming here straight from episode 6, you'll know that I made a lot of um, what I thought were very outlandish and very hot takey predictions. Um, and I was fully expecting to read the issue we're going to be discussing today and have pretty much everything I posited be uh, contradicted. And, uh, well, not so much. Uh, <laughs> I'm, you know, and I don't know where this is going, so this could just be me looking for things where I want to see them or where I, I'm afraid to see them, but uh, we'll get into it, and we'll do so right away. Uh, we're doing House of X number four today, had a November 2019 cover date. Story is called It Will Be Done, written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Pepe Larez, colors by Marty Gracia. Letters, VCs, Clayton Cowles, designs, Tom Muller, edits, Bisa, White, and Sabolski. $5 book, hit the shelves on September 4th, 2019, so almost an entire calendar year ago, or actually over, a little over a calendar year ago. Now, uh, stop me if you heard this one before, but uh, any guesses what we opened this issue up with? Yeah, mostly blank quote page. Um, all it says is, no more. And that uh, quote is attributed to Professor X. So that's what we get to open this up. Then we hop into our requisite uh, double-page spread of credits, which (laughs) I've complained about that enough. Uh, Then we get another info page, but here's one that actually kind of helps us out. It actually matters uh, to me anyway. Now this one is called Look at What They've Done. And it's a look at all the various mutant extinction events that have transpired throughout X-Men history, as well as the uh, perpetrators of these events here. Uh, We get uh, a lot of them. It's like almost too many to fit into a single decade. If uh, if we are doing like X to the power of one, or, you know, 10 to the power of one, I guess, uh, and being year 10, um, there's a lot of stuff that went down. And... uh, I don't know, maybe it'll all make sense as we shake it out, but uh, we get some statistics here, and uh, we learn that during the Genosian Genocide, which is uh, what opened up the Grant Morrison New X-Men run, that uh, 16,521,618 mutants were killed. Then, during the House of M debacle, Scarlet Witch managed to depower almost a million more, which was uh, 986,420 mutants were depowered. We actually get a mention of the 198 post-decimation, and I I feel like it's been a minute since we were reminded of that. Um, I still remember picking up that 198 special, and uh, they gave us the list of who made the cut here. And of course, it was, you know, the most popular mutants. And uh, 
I remember being kind of tickled to see characters like Alchemy and uh, Litterbug somehow <laughs> made the cut there. Alchemy was a... I don't want to say it was a special character to me, but uh, it was one of the first X-Factor back issues I bought. And uh, I remember being really jazzed to buy it because... Um, you know, it was like X-Factor, maybe 41, 42-ish. Um, and in Wizard, in the price guide, it showed it as being a first appearance of this character, Alchemy. So I thought I was, you know, hot stuff having a first appearance <laughs> of a character from the 80s. And, uh, Litterbug's just funny because I, it's like one of the very few, uh, Jeff Johns creations for, I mean, he's, he's a basic character, but, uh, he was graded by Jeff Johns for his Morlock miniseries when he uh, took his stint at Marvel. So that's interesting. I like that a little bit. Back to Alchemy. Alchemy was a uh, like a it was the result of a contest where readers could create their own mutant. And I think they were originally supposed to show up in the pages of New Mutants, but uh, something went down and they uh, they pushed it off. Uh, I think it was pushed off a couple of years before uh, Alchemy finally made his grand debut in uh, in X Factor. And he wouldn't go on to make a whole lot of appearances, but uh, still, I, I, you know, as being a, a lore guy, I thought that was pretty cool. Now, from here, we actually get some comic pages. Imagine that. We're at the Krakoa Observatory, and the professor is attempting to make contact with the X-Men on the Mother Mold mission. He's got Magneto at his side, as you know has been the norm for this series. And he's joined by Storm, Beast, and Trinary? Trinary? Who I believe came out of one of those color books. I think... Uh, maybe black or red. Uh, I, I think red. Now, each of those three has been assigned a Stepford Cuckoo for this bit, and they're stood before a pool, and upon making contact, we can see Jean Grey's watery visage popping out of the drink. So, this is how they communicate? I, I, I Whatever happened to, like, the psychic rapport and telepathy? This seems a little strange. Um... And like I started the show with, I made a lot of hot take predictions this episode, and uh, seeing this, that doesn't exactly rule anything I guessed out. Um, now we hop aboard the jet that was just exploded, right? And we see Jean, who's being propped up by Monet, and she gives the professor the skinny on what just went down. The jet went boom. And uh, check this out, we even got some deaths. Um, some big deaths, if you ask me. We have Archangel and Husk. Dead. Archangel, one of the original five. Dead. <laughs> no pomp, no circumstance. Just, oh yeah, Archangel's dead. Now, as for the rest, well, they're mostly worse for the wear. Though Nightcrawler, with a smile on his face, reveals that he's just fine. Shouldn't they be uh, maybe a little upset that Warren's dead? So, uh, I made another observation last episode, and, uh, Maybe that one wasn't quite as outlandish as I, as I thought, uh, and, and we'll, we'll talk more about that as we go on. Now, the X-Men, now they have their mission, and uh, we're, they're still here in order to dislodge that mother mold from its four collar points on the satellite. And so they spring into action. Nightcrawler bamfs Cyclops to one, he brings Wolverine to another, Mystique to a third, and finally himself to a fourth. From here, we rejoin Dr. Gregor and Karima What's-Her-Face. And Gregor is an absolute wreck, you know, having just found out that her lover, uh, who we or, or I will soon learn was actually her husband, is, uh, is dead, right? I'm not sure if that was made clear in previous issues, and I just didn't pick up on it. 
I knew they had a romantic entanglement at the, at the very least. I didn't know they were actually married, though. Not, not that it, I guess not that it really matters. Now, Omega Sentinel tells Gregor that she's, she's got to act, and she's got to act quick. Otherwise, Erasmus, her husband, will have died for nothing. And so, Gregor makes some calls to inform the rest of the Orcus crew exactly what they're in for. The scientists plan to send support to each of the collars, as well as a team to the remains of the X-Men's jet in order to snuff out any possible survivors of the bomb blast. Now, in the time it took to have this scene, Nightcrawler and Wolverine have already severed two of the Mother Mold collar connections, so mission accomplished for them. So we only have two to go. Back on the jet, Jean continues to keep Krakoa in the loop. However, Monet cuts this telepathic conversation short because they're about to be boarded. Now, despite a whole lot of arguing, Monet forces Jean to board an escape pod, so at least one of them will make it home safely. Jean pleads with Monet to join her, but Monet knows that the Orcus geeks are going to have to find somebody on board the jet. Otherwise, they're just going to keep looking and they'll ultimately find who they're looking for, which is, you know, everybody. From here, Jean pathoos out in the escape pod, leaving M all to her lonesome. As the baddies board the jet, Monet transforms into Penance, so I guess that's a thing now, uh, and a battle rages. I, I don't remember that being something that happened. I thought, uh, I, I, remember, I remember the Penance and M debacle was, was very, very messy, um, and I think it went through several creative teams, and none of them knew what to do with them. Uh, I know Lobdell was headed one way with her, but then I think, uh, I want to say, like, maybe John Francis Moore was part of this, and uh, ultimately, I think Larry Hama was the one who uh, who hammered the final nail in it, and it was just, uh, it was, you know, pretty tragic. It wasn't very good. Uh, I don't think uh, very many people uh, recall that quite fondly. So... We pop back over to the Orcus Forge, where Cyclops has just severed the third collar connection, so we've only got one left. Mystique's is the only one left to be cut. And so, we shift scenes over to her. Now, just as she's nearing the connection point, Mystique is confronted by Karima and Gregor. Gregor pulls a lever which, conveniently, opens a hatch that sucks poor Raven deep into the vacuum of space. So we sure are killing characters here, aren't we? And, uh, we ain't seen nothing yet. Now, Gregor heads over to, the, to a control terminal, and realizing that she has very little choice at the moment, she decides to put the Mother Mold online right now. Omega Sentinel questions the wisdom of such a decision, and uh, I want to say this is maybe the first bit of actual emotion we're getting out of Karima up to this point in this story. Uh, they don't know how sane the Mother Mold will be, not everything's done yet, but... uh. That's gonna be done. Now, before leaving this scene, Gregor shows off an AIM translocator device. Now, the Mother Mold begins to boot up, thankfully giving an audible address to count down just how long this process will take, which I suppose is pretty helpful for amping up the tension, which it actually does. Now, Jean is still in contact with Krakoa and the Orcus satellite, and she reports what she's learning from Cyclops regarding the boot up of the Mother Mold. The professor says, in no uncertain terms, that they are to do whatever it takes to ensure that this sucker doesn't come online. We pop back up to the satellite, and Cyclops gives the orders to Wolverine and Nightcrawler. With ten seconds to go, Wolverine and Nightcrawler have a discussion about the afterlife that took me about 25 seconds to read, but yeah, what are you going to do? Nightcrawler then bamps Wolverine to the outside, right to the physical Mother Mold collar, where he just starts slicing and dicing. 
all the while his body is being decimated by the intense heat. Now, this is heat that's so intense that it took Nightcrawler out right away. All that's left to him is bones. Um, now, Mother Mold chats up Wolverine while he rends at the collar, referring to mutants as titans or humans spoiled or humanity's spoiled lineage. Wolverine keeps hacking and finally severs the tie. Mother Mold heads right into the sun, spouting some spoo about Olympus that totally goes over my head. Back on board the satellite, we see that Cyclops has watched this entire scene play out. He refers to Wolverine as the bravest man he knew. Which, I mean, that's a little bit of a slight to Nightcrawler, eh? He was out there, too. Now, Cyclops reports to Jean, who reports to Krakoa, that the job is done, but not without casualty. Cyclops makes a break for it, trying to locate an EVA suit, or an EVA suit, an astronaut suit, so he can escape the satellite and maybe uh, catch up with uh, Jean in the escape pod. But, not so fast, Kimasabi. He is struck in the back by Omega Sentinel. She drops him with a nanite blast, which will inhibit him from engaging his mutant powers. They're joined a moment later by Dr. Gregor, who confirms that Erasmus was her husband, before blowing Scott's head clean off his shoulders with some sort of a futuristic shotgun of sorts. Jean cries out, knowing she's the only survivor of this mission. But... Not so fast, Kimasapi, because those Orcus drone sentinels that were mining on Mercury have finally arrived, and they take Jean out. Now, we wrap up the comic portion of this issue with the professor slumped down and a tear rolling down his cheek. He says, no more. We get a completely white page that simply says, no more, which would probably be striking and wonderfully contrasting with everything we just read if we weren't getting these sort of pages quite as often as we are. From here, we get six more non-comic pages. The first two have newspaper clippings of the Genosian Genocide and the No More Mutants boner. Uh, The remaining four are just blown-up panels from this very issue in black and white, with some stats of mutant deaths plastered over them. I still think we're getting too many of these. I'm I'm sorry. Uh, This is an expensive book, and it's really just too hard for me not to nitpick this sort of thing. I know this is probably... The most annoying part of this show. Well, I hope it is anyway. But uh, there's just too many of these. Um, though, gotta say, if my only complaint about this is that I'm enjoying the story so much that I want more pages of it per issue, I'd say we're probably doing okay. Okay, so let's talk about this one. Now, back in episode six, I felt like I made some pretty crazy guesses about what might be coming down the pike here. And uh, now after reading this seventh chapter... I'm not convinced that I was necessarily wrong, or maybe maybe not as wrong as I thought I might be. I do suppose I should come clean, and you know, some of this, of course, has been spoiled for me, because I did read Dawn of X, X-Men number one, um, and there, you know, we had Scott, we had Wolverine, we had Gene, they're all alive and well. So, I mean, these deaths, they're not going to be permanent, not that... Not that I suppose anyone would ever think they would be, uh, even without knowing a little bit about what's to come, because, I mean, it is, you know, Scott, Wolverine, and Gene. So the question that I have here, which I don't want answered, uh, is just how do they come back? Uh, As it stands now, I have two theories. Uh, The first one is that Mora shows up in X to the First, dies again, and this is all undone, or... Those pods from the beginning of House of X number one come into play. And to be completely honest, 
I'm not sure which of those possibilities I prefer, and I'm not even sure which of those possibilities I hate the least. Uh, (laughs) um, I don't know how I feel about any of that. Uh, Though, I am completely open to being 100% wrong, and there actually being a third, fourth, or fifth choice that I haven't thought about yet. Um, You know me, I get stuck in the scenery, so uh, there might be something that's you know, as plain as the nose on my face that I just missed because I'm looking past it. Um, now, we killed everybody here, right? Um, one mission, all the heavy hitters, they're dead. Um, which is something that I both like and hate in this situation. Uh, I like it because it makes a very firm statement, you know? Uh, we're not going to be able to necessarily walk this back without implementing, like, a world-changing or... I suppose maybe a world-breaking literary device. Um, But, I mean, at the end of the day, it forces us, the readers, to accept that things are different, or at least they're going to be different. You know, this is a statement. You know, this is something that is going to have to be dealt with, and it's going to have to be dealt with firmly. Um, It's not a half-pregnant scenario. Uh, This is going to lead to something that's going to change the way... Uh, we look at this run. Now, I, I don't like it because, I mean, it's inevitable that there's going to be some sort of backdoor to get out of this. So, for someone like me, all I'm going to do now is try to find it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I get tangled up in, in symbolism that isn't even there as it is. And now I'm going to be looking for the backdoor to, <laughs> to see how they're going to undo this. Probably losing myself and missing um, you know, salient points in the story. I liked Jean's reaction to Scott's death. Um, I haven't really read anything with Scott and Jean since the very tail end of the Morrison run, uh, where where they really weren't on the best of terms. Um, you know, Scott was with he was kind of playing around with Emma, and uh, Jean was you know just there. It was a weird time for them, and uh, you know then Jean passed, and she's been gone for. Shoot, 15 years now, you know? She just came back a little bit, well, like 2019, 2018 she came back. So she hasn't been back very long, and I haven't read anything since. So I don't know if there is any sort of romantic feelings there. And I think Scott was dead for a lot of that, that she's been back. Um, Because I think he came back in, like, the latest Uncanny X-Men annual. Because that that one I did take a look at uh, a while back. I found it in a bin. But, uh... My question here is, like, was Jean feeling the loss of someone she loved, or was this just the realization that, you know, like, all of her teammates are dead, you know? Um, Food for thought. It might be completely obvious to people who have been following along, but to me, I just don't know. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about the Professor. Now, so now the Professor uh, needs to tap into the Cuckoos and Krakoan pools in order to uh, communicate telepathically. Uh, if if that's even what I'm seeing here, um, or maybe, as I do, I'm looking too hard at something that ain't there. I'm at the point now where I feel like like maybe we're not we're supposed to think that the man under the cerebral helmet isn't Charles Xavier. So when it's ultimately revealed to be him, we're gonna be surprised, or I'll be surprised. Uh, I I really don't know. Um, which is great. It's it's um, definitely uh, something fun. To, to experience here and see where my crazy guesses are going, if they're going anywhere at all. 
Now, I want to say, the last time I saw Professor X, you know, in continuity, was uh, when he was killed by the Dark Phoenix Cyclops toward the end of Avengers vs. X-Men. I don't know when he came back, and I don't know if when he did come back, he came back underpowered or completely depowered. So maybe he needs boosters in the form of the Cuckoos and Krakoa in order to make his telepathy work, or... And I'm just ignorant to that fact, or, you know, maybe, just maybe, this ain't the mutant we're looking for. Uh, either way, I'm, I'm interested to see where it's going. I think this is, uh, you know, it's like hiding in plain sight, you know? We have this guy who's wearing a helmet, who we, who we assume is the professor, and he very well might be. But, I mean, what better place to hide? I think uh, hiding in plain sight was a theme of Morrison's new X-Men with... Uh, with the fiction that was Zorn. And uh, I, I love... If, if this is some sort of a callback to that style of storytelling where we can finish this story, get a reveal, go back and read the story again and just see it in an entirely different light. Um, and again, I'm reaching. I don't know if any of this will come to pass, but I am excited to find out if it does or even if it doesn't. Okay, info pages. Stop me if you heard this one, but... Is a bit too much um, Now I've said it before But I think as chapter breaks in a collected edition They probably work really well As a way of letting the reader catch their breath And preparing us to enter like a new phase of the story Here in a single issue format Especially when they're not adding all that much I mean I've made these complaints before And I probably will continue to I will say That the info page that broke down the mutant extinction events Was really cool uh, I'm a huge fan of lore, and it's nice to have any nods to continuity, especially in this nebulous, wobbly era where who knows what continuity is or if continuity is. So to see any nods to it is refreshing to me. Uh, the Morrison-era Genosian genocide was an amazing piece of storytelling, and that really informed that entire run, that entire era of, uh, of X-Books. Uh, we also, you know, on the other hand, we get the Bendis No More Mutants boner, which... In my opinion, was far less good. But, as stated, I am a lore guy, so I'm willing to take the bad with the good, play the ball where it lie, and not dismiss it simply because I personally didn't like it. My, you know, the way I look at it, even inconvenient stories matter because, you know, we're dealing with serialized fiction. Not everything is going to be right up my alley, and not everything's going to be right up anybody's alley. Um, but these stories are what what build our characters and what build our worlds. So you take the good, you take the bad. And uh, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. As long as, you know, as long as we're acknowledging it. That's cool with me. But uh, before we cut out of here today, I do want to share a little bit of feedback. Uh, the other day, uh, episode five, when uh, Jeremiah was on with me, we discussed the Dawn of X anthology trade collections. And uh, I'd never seen them. You know, I just heard rumor that they existed. And uh, thankfully, we had a few listeners who uh, who sent in photos of their Dawn of X collections. Uh, Dallas Gibson and Andrew and Belfast. want to say these things look really cool. And uh, I'm, I'm not one that usually gives Marvel a whole lot of credit, but this is a amazing, smart idea. Uh, and a, and a, a smart way to keep folks on top of these stories. I, I hope it's not signaling, like, a total shift to a trade format, but as a as a way of following this without having to, 
overwhelm a potential new reader. I think this is just so smart because not everybody's digital. Uh, I can attest to that. So if you do want the physical comic, the physical you know paper in your hand, uh, and you don't want to go to a comic shop every week or you don't want to pl- pay bloated prices, just a wickedly smart idea to do this. Um, I think I think we're gonna see a lot more um, like fiefdom comics go this route where you're gonna get this you know recap book and, and it's it's brilliant. Very, very smart Um, I mean, look at the first few months of Dawn of X I mean, this was This format of of an anthology trade uh, Is far less overwhelming Than having to buy upwards of a dozen Four or five dollar X books a month Those first few months of Dawn of X They were insane with double shipping I mean, I think the first month or Maybe the second month Because I don't think they all came out the first month But, uh there were 10 or 12 books that came out And a lot of those were number ones And a lot of those were $5 So I mean that is A big investment Especially if you're just curious You've heard good things about Hickman you heard heard good things about what he's done with the Avengers and Fantastic Four And you want to see how he applies his trade to X-Men That's a big buy-in To expect someone to I mean there were 6 launch books I believe 5 bucks a piece for the first issues of each That's $30 For one issue of each book not all of them written by Hickman So I think this anthology is is so smart It's such a good idea But uh, I'll wrap up with a little bit more from Andrew He sent me a message about uh, I asked a question about like where did this come from You know, were there hints to the Hox, Pox, Docs era Before House of X number one And uh, as I'm trying to conceptualize or contextualize Just exactly what everyone was feeling Back, you know, in the summer, uh, early fall of 2019 When the first issue of this hit I didn't know if it hit as just the next step The next chapter in the X-Men Or if this hit like, you know, like a bag of hammers You know, just totally knocked everyone off, knocked everyone off, their, uh, off their feet And so uh, Andrew was helpful enough to uh, write in and tell me And I'll read a little bit of what he sent me right now He says, the diary was just to say that in terms of continuity with the storyline pre-Hickman, they basically just ended it cold and started Hoxpox with a bang and swept swept everything else away. So, thank you, Andrew, for helping me with that. But he continues here, just in case I was looking to work backwards, which I was was thinking of doing, so this is great information here. He says, the Phoenix miniseries shortly before Hickman's run was great. As was the extermination miniseries that basically formed the event that tidied up Bendis' young X-Men that were out of time and put them back in their timeline quite neatly. It tied that up really decently. And of course, that's the uh, you know the time displaced all new X-Men. Um, you know the original five pulled up after uh, after Cyclops went nuts because Beast wanted to shock his system and uh, and scare him straight again. Uh, the Phoenix miniseries. I have a few issues of that. Um, but not the entire thing uh, Hopefully I'll come across that Because I, that is one of the things that I've missed I mean, I've only been out of X-Men comics for about two years And uh, and I feel like I've missed so much So that's something I do want to check out The uh, Phoenix Resurrection I think it's either five or six parts I think I have two of them But I do want to check that out Extermination, I have a few of those as well I think that's I think that might be four issues I think I have two of them but uh, I will be on the lookout for those because uh, I was interested to see how the uh, the all news went back, and and I'm just happy to see the all news gone 
because they they overstayed their welcome by about three or four years. I loved them at first, but eh, <laughs> I didn't like them toward the end. Um, he continues. After that, though, the, the new Uncanny X-Men book was essentially a waste of time, as was the new X-Force. I would simply avoid those two rebooted series if you have any, any inclination to work backwards as they're essentially redundant. Now, I've told the story about how you know Uncanny X-Men was, I think it was launched as a weekly book, and uh, wasn't a fan of that sort of a idea, especially at the price they were asking for, and the rotating creative teams. It just uh, didn't seem like something I'd be too terribly interested in following, especially when they, I think they launched it with a story called Disassembled. So, like, we're launching a whole new series just to break the team up? Yeah, not, not my idea of a good time. Uh, Andrew continues, Return of Wolverine was also a waste of time event, getting us back to the original Logan. In short, there's no, quote, road to Hoxpox, but Extermination is a good one to check out for explaining away why the younger, time-displaced X-Men are no longer there. Plus, it's a great story. He wraps up with, The last thing we got, immediately before the Hickman stuff, was an awful poor man's ripoff of Age of Apocalypse event called Age of X-Men. That was total garbage. And uh, from what little I've read of that, because I did find... I found one of... I think I found an entire miniseries plus like two or three random Age of X-Men issues in a quarter bin. And, oof, not good. (laughs) They weren't... uh, they definitely weren't to my liking from what little I saw of them. I have absolutely no context. I think I have the alpha, but I don't know that I read it. Um, they're there, and uh, maybe one day, just as a, <laughs> to see how bad it was, I'll check that out. Uh, Andrew closes his message here with, uh, So Hickman sweeping everything away and starting with a clean slate was basically hitting the reset button. So there was nothing you know, preceding it that hinted to the Hox Pox Docs era. And now I know that, which is great. But uh, I think that's probably all I've got for you right now. Um, I'm thinking about, you know, thinking about these, you know, backwards, going backwards from House of X number one here, the Uncanny run, the X-Force run, these miniseries that were very interesting. I mean, Major X was a thing, and I don't even know what that was. I was thinking about maybe... Like doing some sort of like a, a books club sort of thing, you know, B-O-O-X, because that's clever. Uh, I'm not really good at organizing things, but I think it might be fun to just pick a story anywhere from history, uh, recent history, far back history, and just discuss something that doesn't really fit into any sort of, uh, any sort of you know, clean and tidy envelope for any of the shows I have up here, just uh, as something to do. So maybe that'll be something I'll check out, uh, check into as I move forward here, because... You know, I'm all about feeding the lore, so I'd, I'd like to uh, make sure I can get my uh, get myself where I need to be, get my head right to, to get into the uh, the Docs era here, and uh, with still having an appreciation for everything that came before, or maybe the ability to let go of the things that came before. So I'll just put that you know on the back burner and see if uh, if anything percolates, and <laughs> we'll move on uh, from there. But uh, next up, we got Powers of X number four. And I uh, haven't looked at it. I, I did look at the cover, which uh, has uh, the professor in his helmet, surrounded by heads of X-Men. So uh, we'll check that out next time. Uh, if you would like to reach out to me, you could do so at Ace Comics on Twitter or at weirdcomicshistory@gmail.com. And uh, till next time, I will uh, 
Thank you all for hanging out with me today, and uh, talk to you again real soon. See ya.